All right, we're finally doing it. We're finally recording it. Uh, the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. The season is over. Evan Roberts, Mike Biseglia. I got to be honest with you. I have no interest in doing a podcast about this. I know it's been 10 days since the Nets lost game seven. I think I recorded like a four-minute instant reaction the night of, which was right. basically a funeral. Uh, I'm still... The word is, I'm not pissed. I'm still disappointed. I'm still hurt. I'm still jealous. I'm still bitter. I still feel like crap. That's how I feel. How do you feel, bro? Well, Evan, I have not watched one second of basketball. Not, seriously, I've not put on one second of basketball. And I know it's it's different for you with work, but I, I don't have to do that. I have not watched one second of basketball because it just gets me to a point of anger and really jealous. Yes. And the Nets lost fair and square. Don't get me wrong. They lost. They, they, they didn't win the series. But I look at these teams and I'm like, oh, my God, if things just broke the right way in my head and your head, we'd be looking at possibly going for an NBA championship. And it just felt it was derailed too early. And I have not been able to bring myself to watch a second of any of these games. I haven't either. And honestly, because, you know, I'm doing sports talk radio in New York where people are more obsessed with the Yankee issues and the Met issues. I don't feel like I'm being, you know, a derelict to my job. You know, we're not breaking down Bucks Hawks. We're not breaking down Clippers Suns. So I'm with you. I haven't been able to watch it. And, you know, I guess there have been times as a sports fan where you suffer such a brutal loss that you can't watch that sport you love immediately thereafter and the one that jumped out at me the most was 06 after the Mets lost the National League Championship brutally to the Cardinals in which it was similar they were favorites I mean that was because I've been doing a lot of thinking over the last 10 days and I think that that loss can spawn like 15 different podcasts you know worst loss ever you know right. ranking all the difficult losses and I did think back to when have I ever rooted in? And we both share a baseball team and a basketball team. The football's a little different. You don't care about hockey. We we share the Mets. And the Mets are the only team from 2006 that I can compare in terms of they were heavy favorites. You know, the Mets went to the postseason clearly better than every other team in the National League, including the team that they lost to the St. Louis Cardinals. And so a part of what made that loss so devastating, a game seven in your own building, was that we had to win. You know, we were better. We had to win. Now, I know the Nets maybe at the end weren't better with all the injuries that they had, but in terms of expectations going into a playoff, that was probably the biggest maybe I've ever had as a sports fan, and I couldn't watch that World Series. I could not watch Tigers-Cardinals, and I don't know if when the NBA Finals start, things will be different, but right now I'm with you. I mean... Even when I think of Atlanta, Milwaukee, I become a jealous bastard where all I could think about is it should have been us. It should have been me. It should have been you. And I got to tell you, I know it's been 10 days and I've had a few people tell me I got to grow up. Maybe mm -hmm. we both have to grow up, but I'm, I'm still bitter and I can't watch any of this crap. It's funny you mentioned that Mets game because I think this is the most painful loss I have suffered as a sports fan since that Mets game. And I thought about this. I'm glad you brought it up because I thought there was a couple of similarities. I thought the Andy Chavez catch was similar to the Kevin Durant three in the <laughs> sense of after that play, I was like, they're winning this. They're winning this. Like Obviously, it's very different with baseball. And that shot took the Nets not quite into overtime yet, but there was a the Milwaukee had to miss the shot. But that moment of like you're seeing 
an iconic play, an all-time play in the biggest stage, yet it was a loss. So I had that the same thought about that Mets game and that amazing moment in Mets history that ultimately did not matter because they lost the game. And then the same thing with the Nets, where you got Kevin Durant with one of the all-time great playoff performances, one of the best shots you've seen in the clutch in a big moment, but then they got to the overtime game and they could not win. And I'm with you too. Like just thinking that it's 2-2 Milwaukee, Atlanta, and then thinking back to it's, it's, I, I just don't, the best, the best medicine for me has been denial. Just get it out of my brain. Pretend like it's not even yeah. going on. And yeah. then I don't have to think about it. It's like trying to go through a breakup with somebody. I don't want to think about the girl. So if I don't think about her, I'm not going to feel right. upset. But the second I see pictures of her with somebody else on Facebook, I'm going to be in a bad mood. No, I completely agree. But let's delve into it because I think we have to. Um, there were a lot of things about this game seven that scared me. And I know scared you. We traded a few text messages. Uh, they should have been up by more. I think that was a fear we had mm -hmm. going into halftime. But I want to go back to that KD play because I think what helped in the moment for me is that I never thought it was a three. You know, from where I was sitting inside Barkley Center, I saw the officials clearly signal it was a two-point shot. So when it went down, and I had a weird reaction to it, man, I jumped up and down for about five seconds. You know, something came over my body. I freaked out. I, I don't even remember what I said. But then I immediately sat down because I immediately thought, and it's amazing you brought up the Endy play, but I thought of the Endy play because I remember being in Shea Stadium that night saying to my dad after Endy made that catch, we're going to go to the World Series. And that haunted me. You know, it was my own line, but it haunted me that I was that confident we were going to go to the World Series and we didn't. So I sat down after about five seconds and there was a guy and he actually ended up calling our show, Cardin Roberts, and I appreciate it. But there was a guy who leaned over and said, Evan, we got this. And I just looked at him and said, we don't have anything yet. Right? We, we just don't. And I remember mentioning on the air that that voice, <coughs> excuse me, that voice and what he said was going to haunt me because mm. I keep hearing we got this, we got this. But I never thought in the moment it was a three. Did you? I did not also. Now, I'm watching this game on TV, and it looked as if it was a two-point shot. That okay. was my quick perspective. But again, let me see the replay. Let me see this digested. When I saw the replay, of it, and I saw just how close it was to being a three-pointer, that's when, like, I think even more after the fact, that's when the disgust started to, to right. creep into my stomach. But from watching it on TV, and I, I can't even remember who was guarding him now, probably Tucker, I guess. PJ. It, it was PJ, he was, yeah. He was, he, was, he was blocking, like, Durant's view on the TV, so you could not see the floor. But just from watching enough basketball, being around all of these games, and just seeing perspective of where he was, it appeared that it was just a bit short on that side of things. But when, when he hit that, I mean, I did, I did a lap to the other side of the house and then it did a lap back and then looked at my wife and I was like, Oh my, Oh my God, we're watching, we're watching greatness right now. We have to get a stop. We have to win this in overtime. And when they got to the extra session and they weren't making shots, because because Milwaukee left the door open where they were missing so many shots that the nets could just string two or three together. The thing was done. But they just could not. They just I mean, think about it, dude. The, the, it, just, the, it just couldn't. They couldn't do it. The only bucket they got in overtime, if I'm not mistaken, was a KD air ball in which Bruce Brown got the offensive rebound and the putback. And that may have been on the first to second possession of overtime. But they were gassed. 
I mean, they, Kevin Durant yeah. was gassed. I mean, he was the guy who was truly gassed. And Joe Harris just sucked. And look, Joe's getting a lot of the blame, and he deserves it. I mean, we just got to call it like it is. I mean, most of my interactions with Net fans, which has occurred on, you know, direct messages on Twitter, have been about Joe. And I can't defend him. Now, I'm not telling you 10 days out, now that we're about a week and a half, two weeks out, I want to trade him. I don't want to look at him ever again. But... I think we have to face reality. I mean, Joe Harris had a couple of individual shots where if he makes one of them, everything is different. You go yeah. back to game three, the open look inside the perimeter that I think would have put him up by God. I don't even remember anymore, but it was a big shot inside the final you. minute of that game. And he's got to hit that shot. And then there were shots in game seven, including one in overtime. I mean, the son of a bitch missed so many open looks in this series and I know it's going to haunt him. I know he cares. I'm sure he's thinking about it right now. But God damn it, man. If Joe Harris hits a few more shots, we're in the effing Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, it was the three-pointer in overtime. I think the score was 113-113 or 111-111. And he was just so wide open. And it was just the classic, get him the ball, hit the shot, go up three. And he just clanked it. He he. He's been bad in big games, man. Like anytime no, no. I think of Joe Harris, and this is obviously those are huge games, but big spots for Joe, he just seems to shrink. And he had a couple of good games earlier in the in the playoffs. I think it was the Celtic game where he ripped off seven for ten from three and was good on defense and got in transition. But anytime there's a big spot, he shrinks on the floor. I even look back at the game against the Wizards in the regular season, and he had the terrible inbound pass. It just seems like big moments for Joe. Yeah, he does not show. But they're, up they're always. But there was always a good excuse for it. You know, if you go back to the Philly series in 2019, we could credit the defense of the 76ers and how good of a job they did against him. The Toronto series last year, you almost throw out. The Raptors were clearly better. That's weren't much of a team. Right. I I think he, yeah, I think he played the first two games, if I'm not mistaken, and then missed game three and four. This wasn't about tipping your hat to good defense. This was about Joe Harris missing open shots and then also and we saw it in the games in milwaukee then committing stupid fouls that would lead to four-point plays and it almost combined you know how bad he was and look i i get it and we haven't even mentioned it yet kyrie irving was out we all understand that james harden was a shell of his former self we all understand that but if you watch the nba playoffs everybody's dealt with it Mm -hmm. now and it's not making me feel better. Oh, well, Giannis is out now for Milwaukee. Trey Young's missed the game. Look, the story of the NBA playoffs has been injuries. Yep. But if there was a team equipped to survive injuries, you would think it would be the team with three superstars. And truthfully, with only one of them playing at full strength, they should have won game seven. And that's the thing that ticks me off. Like, yes, they had injuries. And this is not to make it an excuse. They all had injuries. They could have won anyway. So I, what's not making me feel better over the last two weeks is, well, they lost because they weren't healthy. No, they still should have won game seven. You know what I mean? Like that game was still there for the taking despite the injuries that they had to Kyrie and Harden playing as a quarter of himself. The, and I, 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 I never do this, but I did this twice in this series. It was the game three after the Durant three to go up three. I thought they won. And then there was the Durant, uh, excuse me, with the James Harden pass to Durant where he scored to go up five. And at those two moments, I thought they're, they're going to do this. And I got fooled by it every time. And I'm so mad at myself for thinking that because I never 
have that kind of mindset. Maybe it's something with Kevin Durant that it's changed me a little bit, where I think they can win games now that they could not win in the past. But those two moments, I just fooled myself into thinking they were going to win these series. And the thing about the Nets, and we've talked about this at nausea on this podcast, the nausea about this on the podcast, that we said, okay, they finished 48 and 24, but they had all these injury problems. We said, you know why they finished so well? Because they got contributions from Jeff Green. They got contributions from Blake Griffin. Landry Shamit showed up at the moment. Bruce Brown was good. Joe Harris was good. This was the reason that the Nets were winning basketball games because the big three had so many injuries where the three of them were never together. And it was two of them, one of them, et cetera. But the bench was awesome. And we, and I would go on about that. And I would tell people about that. They don't watch the nets every day. The reason they're winning games is because the big three, yes, they're there, but everybody around them is playing well. And in this playoff series and in game seven in particular, it was nobody from the bench. I don't no. think anybody scored a point on them. No bench. one, everything, everything that was so good about them that made them win games was the direct reason and partially of it why they could not win in the playoffs. And and with all of that said, because Durant was so freaking good, they were right there. Yeah. Well, what ended up happening in game seven, and it happened the last few games of this series, and I'm not blaming Steve Nash for this, but it's just the reality, is he basically said, we can't compete unless Kevin Durant is on the floor. We can't compete unless James Harden is on the floor. And so if you look at what happened in game seven, the starting five basically played the entire game. I mean, obviously, KD did. James Harden essentially did. Bruce Brown essentially did. Even despite Joe Harris's struggles, he basically played the entire game. The same with Blake Griffin. Blake, you know, I was surprised his kind of passive usage of Jeff Green. And Jeff Green did not attempt yeah. a shot in game seven. And I think what that tells us now is he wasn't healthy. You know, Jeff Green rushed himself back, had a marvelous game five. I mean, his performance in game five, you know, obviously KD gets all the attention, but they're being blown out by a lot more if Jeff Green isn't awesome. But you can see it in the minutes and the way he played. He wasn't healthy in game seven, and then he had no faith in Nicholas Claxton, no faith in Mike James, no faith even in Landry Shaman. I mean, you talk about the bench not scoring a point in game seven. Dude, the bench didn't take a shot in game seven. Think about that. Of course they yeah, didn't no, score. No one took it's a wild. shot. It's wild. And it, it just, it's it just, it was a, it was a, it was a strange and weird game. And man, Milwaukee has their flaws. You could see that, but they, they got contributions when it mattered. And they, you know, Holiday was terrible, but he, he had a I shot know. when it counted. He stepped up. And the Nets, and the, yeah, they, they hit shots when it mattered. And I do think, and I, again, I haven't watched enough, I haven't watched any of it with the Hawks and the Bucks. But I thought when the Nets started counting Giannis, it helped him with his free throws. Nobody got him in a rhythm or something, got him going. And yeah, he, it was he's, weird. He's a weird guy, and it was just that. It's just ugh. like I saw somebody tweet today something about Joe Harris, and I was like, Why did you do that? I was trying to forget about this, <laughs> and it just triggers back all of that anger. And it's weird. You mentioned it's been ten days. In my head, it feels like it was yesterday. And then at the same time, it feels like it's a lifetime ago because it just was, it was, uh, I, after that loss, Evan, I sat in the, the rocking chair for the baby and I just sat there for an hour. I just was like, I could not move. Nah, like, dude, I feel you, man. It was painful. That I, was, that was a painful loss. It was, it was as bad as it gets. I, I, I keep thinking of walking out of the arena. You know, walking out yeah. of a very, very quiet Barclays Center. And look, the crowd was loud. The crowd was great during the game. Uh, Durant hits that game-tying shot. Obviously, the place is moving, and that's great.
But unlike Nick fans, we actually don't give a crap about it. I mean, great, great. The place was loud. yippity doo da. Let's put a freaking banner up that Barkley sent a rock for game seven. We lost. But leaving that arena, I was holding my wife's hand and my hand was limp. Like I was just dead. I was walking as if <laughs> I was a zombie. And it was a very long walk to my car. Very long walk. And then the drive home and my wife's smart. She didn't want to say anything to me. You know, she just yep. said, I'm sorry. And that was it. Smart. And I just kept thinking about all the small effing things. Right. Right. That contributed to this contributed to not advancing, contributed to not moving on. And what I didn't know, and I was alluding to this earlier, was even how close the KD shot was to being a three. Yeah. So that was one of those things that never was in my mind. It didn't really hit my mind until I did the show Monday because I knew Monday, look, I'm going to take a beating. I get it. And that's fine. You know, Craig's a Nick fan. A lot of Nick fans listen from an entertainment standpoint. People want to hear the net fan get beat up and that's fine. And I, and I, and I have to admit this. I found that show to do that, that I did with Craig on Monday uh, after the loss to be less painful than if mm. Joe and I were doing a show in which we broke down the game, because when you break down the game, and you think about things on such a serious level, it becomes more painful. And you think of everything so specifically. Look, I, Craig's busting balls. I mean, I right. get it. He's 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 an entertaining guy. And that was more about entertainment than it was really thinking about every moment. So it sucked. Don't get me wrong. It was still painful. But I think it would have been more painful. This is more painful. Right now, me and you talking is more painful. But I didn't realize till Monday how close it was to being a mm -hmm. three. And then I spent that week, last week, thinking about that the entire time. Like, oh, my God, if his foot was just a centimeter smaller, that's a game-winning three. That's and We I, walk it. Well, not walk it off. There's a second mm -hmm. level. We win. Oh. I know it just adds to the pain. It just adds to it. It makes it even worse. And I, I have that photo. I deleted it now because it wasn't healthy, but I had it saved in my phone and I would almost go back and look at it, like expecting that if I looked another time, maybe his foot would be behind the line and the whole story would change. And I would just stare and zoom in and just look about how the tip of his toe was over that three point line. And that was just one of the bizarre factors in ending this season for the Nets, that if that's a centimeter back or an inch and a half back, the Nets are probably going on and, and, and moving on to play the Atlanta Hawks. And, you know, then they get the news. Of course, of course, we get the news a day later about Spencer, two days later about Spencer Dinwiddie now ready to turn to basketball activities. And who knows if that was just all planned. And if he would have said that if the Nets were still playing and who the hell knows if that was even reality, but just even seeing it, was just adding to all of the pain from that loss, just adding it all up. The Joe Harris misses, the Kevin Durant shot just a centimeter shorter or longer would have helped. Kyrie Irving, clearly the Nets just, I will say, and I, and I definitely did not, and I, I did, but I took, I took it for granted just how much offense he gave to this team. And without him, the, deficiencies that they had on the offensive end because they, boy, they really missed. Obviously I'm not saying anything, you know, groundbreaking here, but man, they missed his secondary offense to just really help Kevin Durant. So he didn't have to put in 45 to 52 points in order for this team to at least be close to beat the bucks. Yeah. And look, here's the reality. James Harden was terrible in game seven, right? It was, I mean, I think he missed 
10 or 11 threes. Uh, he turned the ball over a lot. Basically, his offense came from getting to the free throw line. And a couple of times, he probably shouldn't have got to the free throw line. And I know he almost had a triple-double, but James Harden was awful in game seven. But I'm not mad at him. You know, I, I kind of go into this offseason thinking, wow, James Harden left it all out there. You know, James Harden was clearly not healthy. They revealed what kind of strain it was. If this was the regular season, he was going to miss a month. And so the fact he was out there, and he did get – better mm-hmm. to a certain extent as things went on between, you know, game six and game seven, like he did get better, but game five, really moving over those three games. But I mean, I just can't get mad at him because the guy played injured and, and I respect it and I appreciate it. And look, if they would have advanced, I can't say they were going to smoke Atlanta. I can't because I don't know when Kyrie Irving was going to get back. James Harden was never going to be fully healthy. That was never going to happen. And so there is a lot of unknown on what would have happened next. But yeah, the roadmap of Atlanta and then Phoenix or LA is part of what makes this difficult. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying that if the Sixers were there or the Lakers and Clippers, a fully healthy Clipper team was playing the West Finals, this would be easier. In a lot of ways, that'd be painful too because we'd be jealous. But there is a part of this road that looks so winnable even with the injuries that they had that just it leaves a lot of regret and there's no certainties in life like people say well the nets are going to be favorites next year great they were favorites this year the hell does that mean doesn't guarantee they're going to want a title no you work all and the, the part i'm replaying in my head now is it took all of this time to get here and we're still in the middle of the playoffs so you have to start the season over do the whole regular season. And obviously there's a lot to be determined on what they do with this roster and who they fill it out with and, wh- and what they end up doing with all the, this couple of free agents. But then you have to go all the way. And I, and I have faith in Sean Marks. They're going to build a roster around their three stars. Obviously there's going to be sure, people there. Sure, But yeah. this, we have to go all the way back in the regular season, all the drama, all the missing of back-to-backs, all of the micromanaging and understanding of a two-game losing streak, all of it, just to get back to this point. And it just feels like, it's a bajillion years away. And I'll take something that you said that I'm sort of using in my head to make myself feel better. Your big concern for the the Nets versus Bucks was the Bucks took their lumps in the last couple of years. They had brutal exits in the playoffs, the Heat, the Raptors, that this was the Nets Bucks moment where they had their bad loss and they'll take that and they'll use that for next season and make it into a win. And that's what I've kind of snuck that into my head and using that idea that next season well, they'll take this and they'll go from there. <laughs> there's there's a few things you can use, a few coping mechanisms that you can use. And I've tried to put them all in my head over the last week and a half. Number one is that. And there's a lot of evidence of that. If you look at the history of sports, you know, whether it's the Bulls, whether it's the Pistons, uh, whether it's the Dynasty Islanders, you know, the Dynasty Islanders didn't just become a dynasty. They had some brutal postseason losses that got them to that place. So there is a lot of that. You know, there's a lot of you've got to lose before you win. You know, the Miami Heat dynasty, they did get to the NBA finals, but they lost their first year there. So there is a lot of that. The other thing, and I never bought it, but one of the criticisms we would face from Nick fans or NBA fans was, how do you love this team? They're not your guys. They're a bunch of mercenaries. How do you have any bond with Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or guys like that? And I never bought it because I did have a bond. You know, we watched them during the regular season. They picked our team. They became our guys. So I never really had any issue with that, but they are really our guys now. 
You know, mm. we just spent an entire regular season, a devastating postseason run. We had ups, we had downs, we had injuries. They are our guys, period. That's it. And so if you needed any moment to bond with them, Kevin Durant bonded with net fans. He bonded with net fans with this ridiculous game five and even everything he did in game seven. And oh, by the way, KD's everywhere in New York City over the last two weeks. He's at Met games. He's at Liberty games. He's at Yankee game watching Dylan Bundy throw up. Like Kevin Durant is a yeah, New Yorker now. You know, he's, he's clearly a net. So I didn't need it. You didn't need it. We wanted to win a championship now. But if you needed a moment to bond and suffer and cry with this roster, the core of this roster, you got it. So is that going to make things sweeter if they win a title next year? Yeah, because every year that goes by, every loss that we suffer is always going to make winning a championship that much sweeter. That's just the reality. I mean, there's a reason why, and, and I'll do a separate podcast on this, and we could do one about the Nets. I am right now, and it's too early to say this officially, this is worse than anything that happened in 2003. It's worse than losing game five and game six to the Spurs. Well, why? You're in the NBA finals. Because I'm 37 now. Because the naivete is gone. Because when you're 22, you think to yourself, well, we'll get back. No, we'll win eventually. But as you get older, dude, and you suffer more and more losses, even if pound for pound, this isn't worse than losing in the NBA finals. There's a part of you that makes it feel worse because you've experienced so much freaking losing. So that's how I feel about it. But yeah, these are these are the precious moments. And that's what makes this the, the, all the more frustrating. Yeah, next season is going to be another one of these moments. But it just passed and you can see that the roadmap was there for a championship and it was there for a possibility and it was there to see a title. You're right though. If they, if they come back and they win it next season, it will be, I do believe this. I do believe a title next year with that core, with our core will feel sweeter than if they won it this year. And don't get me wrong. I know Evan, how badly you want to see a championship and how badly I want to see this Nets team winning a championship. And it would have been unbelievable but I do agree with that, that if they were able to come back next season and win it off because they had the bonding moments with this team, it would feel better. It's like I'm not comparing the Nets to the Cubs, but I'm comparing this concept. Chicago Cub fans won a World Series, and it was the most amazing moment for their sports fandom because they had been waiting 702 right. years to see it. Now, if they win a title, it'll be cool, but it won't be the same. There is the suffering that goes into that, and the Nets aren't the Cubs or it's anything like that. But going through this bad time will hopefully make for next season just to be that more sweeter if they can Absolutely. win the championship. And then if they lose, it'll just be even that much worse. Yeah, yes, that much worse. I, I think what I fear also is that when this regular season starts, we're not going to be able to enjoy it. Um, even if this team, let's say Harden, Durant, and Kyrie said, we are going to punish the NBA. You know, we have a full year together. It's a regular year, packed arenas. We're going to punish the NBA. And let's say they went 75 and seven, not even joking. Like they were that dominant. We'd be miserable because the entire time we'd say, yeah, this is great. Ooh, are they going to be healthy in April? Are they going to be healthy in May? Like that is going to be a fear in the back of our minds. And I sort of dread that because I think that you and I, especially as diehard fans and anyone listening, you 
want to have a relaxed regular season. You want to have a regular season where you just dominate and kick everyone's ass and take names. And I just think I fear, and who knows, maybe I'll feel differently when we're sitting there in the middle of January, but I fear that we are just going to be miserable no matter how good they are thinking about, well, what's going to happen in April, May, or June. And the reality is you can't win in April, May, or June until it's April, May, or June. And so what are we going to do in the middle of December, January, February, March? Are we going to even be able to have any joy from an 82 game regular season? I think, I think there will be, I think miserable is an extreme on that. I do think as you start to win, see this team win games next year. And if they come out with that mentality where they just want to wreak havoc on the NBA because they have a full season together, they have a full training camp together. They've had moments together and now they're ready to go out there and kick some ass in the season. I think that will feel good because I, I do believe as fans do, we'll have this chip on our shoulder and those wins will feel year. But I will say this, there will be the whole time hanging over us in the balance we know this don't mean anything. We've got to go out there and perform in the playoffs. If Kyrie comes down one one moment weird because he's injury prone, like sure, just, every of year course. there's injuries. You know, what if he turns the wrong way? What if this happens? Kevin Durant diving on the floor at any moment, it's gone. That will always be in the back of our head, and just knowing that, even with the destruction going on, which I do believe they will come out there with that mentality. I think that's going to be the mindset because that's my mindset. And I'm, I'm just a fan watching it. I can only imagine what these high level all-time professional athletes are feeling. I would assume it's going to be the same thing. We'll be excited. We won't be miserable, but in the back of our head, it'll sort of be like when you have a piece of popcorn that's stuck in your tooth and you can't get rid of it. And it's just always there. And even though you're in a good mood and even though your teeth are brushed and feeling fresh and you have great breath, you can't get that piece of popcorn out of your tooth. It's going to be a little bit like that, where you know that feeling is just always right there. I like that analogy. That was a pretty good analogy. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Came Mike Kosa, right very nice. Mike Kosa, another podcast. It's called Bad Weather Fans, and I've actually enjoyed it throughout the season. But ever since this net loss, I have not been able to listen because essentially mm-hmm. you do it with a diehard Nick fan. I know you had Dolan J. Trump on recently. So, look, I advise everyone to listen to it. I have not. I don't know if I can bring myself to it. What so I just want to answer this one question, right? Because you do the show with a with a diehard Nick fan, and he's a very good Nick yeah. fan. I admit that. At Nick Central, that's what I know him as because that's his Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. Was he a complete douche about no. the net loss? How was he? No, he was very nice about it because he respects how much I love them. I mean, he was happy. Don't get me wrong. Sure, sure. Deny that sure. part, that part, as he should but he was not over the edge, rubbing it in, being mean, salt in the wound, all of that. He let me do my process in getting over it. So I do have to give him a lot of credit for that. He was cool about that. For me, it was interesting doing the podcast because the first time we did it after the net loss, which was like five or six six days later, I was just a mope. I was sad. I was depressed. I was in a bad, I was just really sad about everything. And oh my God, this play, the play. And then the last podcast we did, it just became full anger. I was like, I, I reverted back to not being a rational fan. And I was saying, Julius Randle sucks. <laughs> Tom Thibodeau's overrated. RJ Barrett can't go to his right. And I, you know, I, I like to be, as you do, like, I, I don't like the Knicks. I'll never admit that I do. Right. But I'll give honest perspective on how I feel about them and how the roster is being constructed and how they've turned things around. But this was me just being like, oh, Obi Toppin's a bust. They're not, uh, Emmanuel quickly proved that he can't be there for the long, I mean, it was all, they don't have point guard play. You know, it was it was me just 
being like out of control because I was just so angry about the Nets. But no, yeah. I get it. Hey, uh, the next time, the next time they fantasize about Damian Lillard, just remind them that uh, the Nets could always offer Spencer Dinwiddie in a sign and trade, Nicholas Claxton, Joe Harris, and you know, get Damian Lillard ourselves and build a big four. That that'll really oh f my with God. them. <laughs> yes, that will be our ultimate small lineup. You have Kyrie, Dame, Harden, Durant, Durant at the five, and then you know. Joe clanking shots at the four. Uh, boy, hey, if Kawhi really hates that, L.A. Clipper medical staff signed and traded, baby. Let's go. I'm messing around. And we will do we will do a podcast about the offseason, but now is not the time. You know, we'll talk about Spencer and bring him back, Blake Griffin and Jeff Green and Bruce Brown, because they do have some key free agents and what they could do during the offseason. And then the looming question, which I'm fascinated by, and that's, Will Durant, Harden, and Irving, who will be eligible to sign extensions in August, will they sign them? And if they don't, is that going to create a cloud of, uh uh-oh, these guys are going to leave after next year? We'll discuss it on the next podcast. Today was about finally talking about Game 7, finally bracing or kind of discussing the fact that they did lose and the season's over. I got a few angry DMs saying, where the hell's the podcast? You guys disappeared. And I did make a promise on the Saturday show. I said, yeah, me and Bisegli are going to record it and we'll air it. And I never did it. And it's not your fault. It's my fault. I just haven't been ready. Honestly, I mean, look, I know Joe and I used to come on the air after jet losses on Mondays and met losses. But this it was our job. Like we came on the air and it was therapy. We didn't have a choice. I was never going to call out sick. I feel like with a podcast, we can do whatever the hell we want. Your rules. It's my effing rules. And, I, and I'm going to be honest with you. This sucked. This sucked. And, and I don't know why. I mean, I do know why I said it earlier. But I'm telling you, these losses get worse as I get older. Like, mm. my worst Met loss is 2015. What about 2000? It was the Yankees. You know what? I was 17, 18 years old. I figured, don't worry, we'll get one eventually. And then 2015's World Series was basically a replay of the 2000 World Series. When you look at the way they blew game one and the kick in the balls in game five, like there were a lot of similarities. And I don't know. I think as you just get older, man, at least for me, even though you realize sports isn't the most important thing, and I've certainly realized that we both have kids uh, and, and I hug them and I realize, boy, this matters so much more than the Nets losing or the Mets losing. And I, I, I mean that but I still think the losses become worse because you start to look at your age and say, is this ever going to happen? Like, am I ever going to see my team win a title? <sighs> I had, I had uh, Zach Gelb text me and this was really sweet. And I was in a bad mood and he, in, in my son's like nine, something nine and a half, 10 months now, it was like nine months. And I was like, ah, this is upsetting. And he goes, nah, this is a good thing. Cause the nets are going to lose. And next year when your son's a year older and he understands basketball a little more, He'll get to enjoy the Nets championship more. And I was like, you know what? I don't know if he really will. I don't know what the comprehension of a 18 month old baby will be about basketball, but that tweet or that text message made me feel a little bit better at the time. I well, Zach, Zach Gelb feels a little bad because every day when I went to work, he would ask me before the series, you confident? And I'd say, nope, bucks and six, <laughs> yeah, bucks and six, bucks and seven. And he would always try to say, nah, you got this one in the bag. And I think when I saw him after game seven, I looked at him and I said, you piece of crap. You told me everything was going to be okay. Yeah. And by the way, 
as someone now with a, a four, almost five year old and a nine month old, uh, I'm going to break the news to you because <laughs> yeah, figured because my youngest son is the same age as your your son. So I, I say this from with peace and love because Spence is yeah. going to be the exact same way as your son. They will get no appreciation from winning a championship next year. Right. That's true. <laughs> When I was three, the Mets, you know, I was born in 83. The Mets won in 86. I have no memories of that. I mean, right. Really you know, it's it. funny. My uh, Jet is starting to really under. He's starting to understand sports in terms of they won, they lost. We want to see them win. I've taken him to Met games. He knew about the Brooklyn Nets season. He doesn't get it, but he, you know, he knows names and it's mm-hmm. starting to come together. I think at his age, there'd be an appreciation. Like he'd know, wow, dad's really happy. Uncle right, Basegli right. is really happy. <laughs> right, right. Even right. at four turning five. Right. No, it's it's not <laughs> it's not well, understanding. I'm just going to keep using that mantra every time they lose. Hey, it's a year <laughs> older. It's a year older. Or it's a year older. And then he'll be doing a podcast about how upset he is. So, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Hope this therapy session worked for everybody. We will do uh, uh, an off-season preview coming up in the next week. I guarantee you that. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.